0: Listening to the Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Mark Cullen. Mark is an expert horticulturalist, author, broadcaster, tree advocate, and entrepreneur. He shares his experience and passion for what is Canada's most popular outdoor leisure time activity gardening. Mark has established himself as the gardening media personality trusted by Canadians. His commitment to sharing knowledge is right there on his website. 10,000 gardening questions answered. His lofty goal is that we will change the world one plant at a time. And by the way, Mark is also a member of the Order of Canada, our country's highest civilian honor. Welcome, Mark, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, first of all, thank you, Andrew. That
1: was a very generous introduction. I'm a little nervous about opening my mouth and maybe spoiling the illusion you just created. Uh, I'm not sure I deserve all that, but it was wonderful to hear you've made my day. I'm in Markham. My wife and I moved from the country just a year ago uh, to a wonderful one-acre garden that we have in the Markham area. And uh, so I'm broadcasting, overlooking my pollinator garden. And it's, it looks fabulous right now. It's going to look even better in two months and better still in about three years.
0: Well, I had to rewrite my whole intro because I read that Mark Cullen absolutely bristles at being called Canada's gardening guru. Why is that? (laughs) It's funny that you've done a little research because I didn't know I said that
1: publicly uh, because it's just a bit much, you know, I'm Canada's gardening guru. It, it, it suggests that I deserve more credit, frankly, than I deserve. And let me put it this way. I have in my gardening library over 500 books in those books is so much information i am yet to digest i'm so many things about horticulture i'm yet to know i have barely scratched the surface and i've been at this for over 40 years so that's why i'm not exactly a guru but that's my opinion
0: always learning i think that's one of your great philosophies always learning now in addition to living in the markham area if you don't mind me asking how your family is today and maybe you can tell us who's who's in the in the house and who did you get off the payroll
1: And who did I put on the payroll? Uh, You know, um, I was raised in a family business, and I I would like to say this uh, because I know this is sort of a Toronto-centric podcast, and uh, with apologies to anybody that's outside of the GTA, I have no apologies for the fact that I am truly a Torontonian in my heart. My great-great-grandfather arrived here in 1847 with 32,000 Irish And he is part of that story of the Irish potato famine and an exceptional one from the point of view that when he arrived in Toronto, they actually let him stay. And, you know, Toronto only had 20,000 people living here. Mm -hmm. at the time. So what did they do with 32,000 new immigrants? They pushed them into the country, many of them into southwestern Ontario and elsewhere across the country. But So I'm fifth generation Torontonian. My kids, all born in Toronto at North York General Hospital, sixth generation Torontonians. My uh, grandchildren, some of them born in Toronto. So Toronto is in my heart, in a very big way. I love Toronto. And uh, the reason I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan is I was born at Women's College Hospital, two blocks from Maple Leaf Gardens. I didn't have a choice. So here I am. But did you that's ask a- me about, oh, family. So so I live here with my wife, and we downsized. We, we were in kind of a, a large country home where where we raised uh, four kids. So we went from six kids down to just the two of us. We were rattling around and a little lonely up there and decided we'd move to the suburbs where there's some real people, not just birds. And we're enjoying that. We have the birds, and of course we love the birds, uh, but we also have rabbits and all kinds of students walking by the house every day, and it's just wonderful to be part of civilization once again. Um, I do have, and I have to say this, three daughters. None of them on payroll. One is a landscape architect, Heather Cullen. She lives in Guelph. I have um, a daughter who lives in London, England. She's in the sugar business. She works for a company that controls 20% of the world's sugar. And um, London, England, that is, of course. And um, another at-home mom who worked with my wife in the knitting retail world for very many years and now at home with her kids. Ben, the baby of the four, works with me full time. We are partners, we are business partners, and we have our work has evolved Andrew from a uh, long-time commitment to home hardware, where some people st- think I still work, um, but I don't. I concluded that uh, mutually about a year ago, December. And Ben and Ben and I, and more credit to him than me by far, started Cullen's Foods, which is a whole other story. I won't dive into it unless you invite me to, because I think we're probably here to talk about something else. I do I don't know actually what we're going to talk about.
0: So you're in control. Well, uh, it's a great intro. We're going to talk about so many things with you, but I think the first step to go all the way back and get the Mark Collins story, that's the best excuse I've ever heard for being a Leafs fan because I I share in your... your, (laughs) And we need an excuse. Yeah, I, I, (laughs) I share that too. I'm waiting also in my time for a cup win, but that's another topic. So we know where you were born. Tell us about your upbringing. You mentioned a little about your... Uh, grandparents coming here, but why don't you talk about where you grew up in Toronto and your upbringing?
1: Well, thank you for that. Um, I I enjoy telling the story of my father, Len, who was the youngest of five children, grew up on Key Avenue in North Toronto, around uh, Edlington and um, Mount Pleasant area. And he was a paper boy. Uh, His father was, my grandfather was a milkman, and uh, his neighbor across the street was a man by the name of John A. Wheel. And Mr. Wheel owned a small landscape contracting company, and he met my dad at the door one day when he delivered the paper when my dad was 16 years old, and he said, Leonard, I'm digging up some perennials in my yard this Sunday afternoon after church, I'm going to divide them and take them over to Mrs. Smith's and plant them in her garden. Would you help me? And my dad, 16 years old, quite willing to work, looking for a little cash, said, yeah, sure. And that was the beginning of my father's exposure to the wonderful world of gardening. And John, if he was nothing else, was an amazing teacher. So the story I'm telling you took place around 1942. My father, 16 years old, 41 to be exact, then he would have been 16 years old. Uh, My dad takes up work with John Wheel full-time right out of high school, and they're landscaping and working together. In 1947, John is invited to the University of Guelph as a full-time instructor slash professor to teach the returning war vets in Canada the skills of landscape gardening. He was a Brit. He was trained in Britain. Thirty years a senior of my father. Now he's in his mid to late fifties, and he thinks this is a wonderful idea. He, by the way, served with the British Expeditionary Force in World War One. Signed up with 150 guys in Nottingham, which is his hometown, and they all got shipped off to France after a little bit of training. Four years later, he and one other guy came back, and I. I think it's an extraordinary story because it tells you a lot about the character of John Wheel. A lot of it, of course, good luck. Let's not take that away from anybody that sees live combat. A lot of it was good luck that he was able to come home. He's a machine gunner. He saw he saw action at uh, the Somme, both the first and the second big battles of the Somme, and a variety of others. And uh, he had a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor, and it seemed to get him through everything. That's why he lived to 100. And wow. I got to know him. I I got. I, it was such a privilege to get to know John Wheel through my father's relationship. So I tell you that because it's, I think, an important sort of place to start with a story about how the Cullens became gardeners. I am not the third generation gardener in our family. I am the third generation gardener in the family business. But the business was started by John A wheel in 1921 when he came to canada hung out a shingle at balsam and queen street in the beach and basically said garden garden design and contracting that was it and the rest is history
0: well it's very important history because if you grew up in toronto you knew about wheel and cullen the original gardening superstore as we have just learned from mark there is a wheel john wheel Obviously, there is a Cullen, in this case, your dad, Len. Now, Len had a great passion for retail. So as he got involved with John, they moved their landscaping business into retail in the 1950s, and this became known as Wheel and Cullen Nurseries. You came into the gardening business, obviously, via your dad, but I think you realized that you needed to understand the product in order to serve your customers, and thus you spent lots of time in the garden learning. And and I think one thing you did that was really savvy in your early 20s, you said, I want to get experience working in another family horticultural business. Thus, you went to work for Bachman's, a family-owned floral and nursery business in Minneapolis. And this allowed you to work in a family business as an employee rather than the owner and allowed you to see the operations of a family business from another perspective. Tell us about that experience.
1: You know, you know so much about me, this is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> but because you're everything you've said is absolutely true. And it was a landmark moment in my life when I decided I needed to go to the States. Why the States? Because they were doing things bigger and better um, uh, than we were in Canada in the retail garden center trade. And I happen to know Uh, through our industry association, Landscape Ontario, I happen to know the president of Garden Centers of America. And so I called Gary Gern down in St. Louis, Missouri. I said, Gary, I want to work for the best garden center in America. Who would that be? And he didn't hesitate. He said, Mark, you've got to go work for Bachman's Incorporated, a family-owned operation, third generation at the time. This is 1978. And I did and it was a phenomenal experience. And one of the best things about it was I was not the boss's son. So I got to work at the bottom. I remember I got $2 an hour. And I remember about the middle of May, my boss called me into his office and he said, Mark, we think you're doing such a splendid job. We're going to give you a 25 cent raise. So I got two and a quarter. And I you were was, rich? I was I was rich beyond compare. Well, compared to what? I don't know. But you know what? It was... So much fun, and I learned so much. And when it comes to managing people, because if you fast forward to the 80s, we actually had over a thousand employees at Wheel and Cullin, and I was responsible for them. And I reflected frequently on my experience as the person at the bottom of the, the, the bottom rung of the ladder at $2 an hour. What did that feel like? And how did I feel about the way I was treated and my relationship with my coworkers and my boss and, and the family that ran Bachman's Bachman's family? Uh, those, those experiences uh, were beyond value. They really
0: were. Uh, they were um, amazing. Well, they really molded you and gave you this vast experience that when you came back to Toronto in 1979 with your dad, Len, you created Cullen Country Barns in Markham, Ontario. And today, if I'm not mistaken, this site is the Shopping super center Pacific Mall. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Did you did you, did you uh, did you make out like bandits on the real estate deal once uh, they <laughs> I, took over? Or? Well, I I wish you know
1: that would we have done well in real estate. And that's a whole other story. But I can't say that we did in that particular case, and I'll tell you why. Because Cullen Country Burns was an extraordinary retail experience. It was. Uh, It was about 125,000 square feet of retail in the world's largest barn built for people. Now, all credit to my dad, because this was his dream. And you know the Pickering Airport site, primarily uh, farmland, he bought from the Ontario government for about 100 bucks a toss, 10 barns, took them down, retrieved the uh, timber that had integrity and reconstructed the, the 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 building into a barn that was built for people. Uh, he won. Uh, in 1988, he, would, he didn't win it. That's the wrong word. He was awarded the Canadian Entrepreneur of the Year by the federal government in 1988 and uh, for Cullen Country Barnes. I have the award right here in my office, and uh, it's, it's a little source of pride because my dad was a dreamer, a serial entrepreneur, and he wasn't always successful. I mean, that's an important part of his story is that there were failures. And in the end, as successful as Cullen Country Barnes was, it failed uh, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was a recession in 1990-91. Interest rates were were high relative to what we're used to today. And I sold the property because I had to. And that was, that is not a good environment to have to sell real estate. You you want to be able to pick your spot when you're selling, whether it's your house or your business or whatever. I, I couldn't because the bank manager said, Mark, you lost $4 million here at Collin Country Barnes in 1990. You better sell it or we're going to sell it. And so I sold it. And, and with that money, I was able to pay off the bank. I was able to move on and I was able to focus on retail gardening, which was quite frankly, Andrew, the love of my life
0: anyway. In 1988, you had taken over Wheel and Cullen Nurseries from your father, and you continued to operate it. In 2003, you sold the business to Sheridan Nurseries, which was your nearest competitor. I'm not sure retirement's the right word, but it obviously didn't suit you to take a break because it sounds like you had mere months off before you joined Home Hardware in 2004 as their national spokesperson for home and garden. And you launched this proprietary or private label brand Mark's choice exclusively with home hardware. Were you inspired by president's choice or what had you come up with this new brand?
1: Well, um, I I used a consultant to come up with a name for the brand and I think they were inspired by president's choice. Um, It, it, it obviously, and I'll, I'll say this quite honestly, that um, the, the name President's Choice had connotation of great value, good quality. And what I was looking for was great value, good quality. But I really wanted um, something that was a cut above good quality. And I wanted to, I wanted to put my name on garden supplies, tools, um, uh, all kinds of things connected with gardening that would last a minimum of five years, and ideally a lifetime. So if you buy a Mark's Choice watering can, for instance, for $45, it's made in Britain by the oldest watering can manufacturer in the world. It's guaranteed for five years. It will last you a lifetime. I've had one for 30 years. You can't, can't kill this thing. And I know you can buy a watering can for two ninety nine. I know you can. Uh, and it raises the question, well, why would you pay that kind of money for a watering can? And, and I can tell you that people did. They bought containers of these things. And Home Hardware was very pleased with the line. We actually got it up to 180 SKUs. Those are stock keeping units. And uh, it was it was a great run. So much fun. I got to meet so many wonderful people. And I still hold home hardware in very
0: high regard. And that was a chapter in my life that was so exciting. Well, something interesting here, as you mentioned, you've ended your home hardware association formally, but you retained all the rights to the Mark's Choice brand name and the trademark. Would you say this is a lesson for entrepreneurs and creators own your stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That would be, if you were asking my advice, I would say, absolutely. Uh, and what I did was I owned the trademark and I, and I still do, but I did sign it over to home hardware on an exclusive basis every five years. I just re-signed that contract and I was very happy to have them control the brand to the extent that they were procuring and negotiating all of the contracts with our suppliers. They were holding inventory and paying for it. And they did the marketing. So, uh, I mean, I did the bargaining I could in, in my sphere of influence, but they were doing the big time stuff and spending the bucks on it. And it was a wonderful partnership. I have no
0: regrets. That's fabulous. And one thing you transitioned into was your passion for promoting the benefits of gardening. And you realized your profile could be raised in the media. As you have noted, people want good, credible, trustworthy gardening information. Everyone has a gardening question. And the media seemed the best way to answer these. Have you enjoyed the profile that comes with being the face of gardening in Canada?
1: Well, I have, you you mentioned the order of Canada, what a a, wonderful honor that was. And perhaps that was, that was the pinnacle of the honor I feel uh, about serving the Canadian public in this, in this role. Uh, I, (laughs) I, You know, it's interesting. You're in broadcast, Andrew. I can relate to you and your work to some degree because I spent over 30 years in radio, 22 of them with CFRB, now uh, the source uh, in Toronto, 1010. Um, no, that's not true. What's it called? The News Talk 1010. Sorry. That's right. It's called News Talk 1010. So I've been out of it for a little while. However, what a, what a great experience that was. And building a reputation is one thing. One needs to remember that it takes tremendous effort and inertia to build a reputation, a good reputation. It takes very little to just tear it down. I mean, ask Print and Andrew, you know, about yep. that. Like, but ugh, what the brands we've seen rise up and then disappear for whatever reason. Um uh so um I would call it a responsibility. The the reputation that I have. Uh, in the genre of garden communication is a responsibility that I take very, very seriously. Fortunately, my son, with whom I'm business partners, takes it very seriously as well. He's very good at it. He writes well. He speaks well. He loves people. He's very social. He knows his stuff. He will admit when he doesn't know stuff. Uh, this, this, this is a great partnership. This has been a great run. But it's, um, it's so easy to just ruin that. And I'm, I think a lot about that. I think about the things I need to avoid not just doing, but appearing to do. You know, just I'm not very political as an yeah. example. Uh, not publicly, I'm not. I have my opinion about things, but I would never express that. Uh, publicly because it's not germane to my work, which is giving people good, credible information they can use, take out in the garden today and use. And I've always wanted to give people information that will inspire them to, to, to overcome the the hurdles real or imagined between them and success in their garden. I mean, that's my elevator speech on why I do what I do, what gets me up in the morning. Uh, People, People hesitate to take up gardening because it just looks so vast, so complicated. It's, I, I don't know. I have a black thumb. People, somebody said it to me last night. I was at a golf tournament over dinner. Woman across from me, I never met before. She says, Mark, I love reading your column in the Star, but I got a black thumb. And I said, you do not. You think you have a black thumb, and it's my job to convince you that you, through a series of very small steps, you can actually experience success in the garden, and that could lead to a lifetime of joy and fun and stuff you never even imagined uh, you could enjoy to the extent you will as a Canadian gardener.
0: As you've said, you're going to change the world one plant at a time. (laughs) <laughs> now, Mark, you are describing yourself as a traditional media guy, obviously well known in print, broadcast media. But you have jumped into the digital world. How are you embracing social media, and and what platforms can we now find you on? Well, we're on
1: Instagram, Facebook, um, a little bit of Twitter. I'm not fond of Twitter. I'll be honest with you. Find it's just a little too punchy, and I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't even tell you why I don't like it. Um, but. Uh, we do have an online e-newsletter, so it's electronic. So I guess that kind of makes it social media-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have twenty-two thousand Canadians that have subscribed to our newsletter. It goes out on the first day of every month, and then from April to October on the fifteenth day. So that's today uh, that we're recording this this podcast. We uh, we send out a food gardening newsletter. So today's message will be about what you can plant, what seeds you can sow, what you should be doing with your tomatoes, um, all that sort of thing. Because quite frankly, food gardening is the fastest growing segment of the gardening genre.
0: The, the call to action that you have, and there's always something new, as you say, you just got to get started. And then you have this whole world of gardening and horticulture that you can grow into. The other person that comes to mind is being another Big voice for gardening in Canada is Frank Ferragini, aka Frankie Flowers. Mm-hmm. He is also a gardening expert. Are you fierce competitors or mutual admirers with Frankie Flowers?
1: Well, very much, very much the latter. Uh, we are good friends. We talk. We don't talk very frequently because we're both busy. But I think he's busier than me. You know, he does the weather thing on TV, and and uh, I think he's up at four in the morning and on the highway. Generally, I don't know about during COVID, but, you know, he is a very, very busy guy and he's got his name out there uh, doing a wide variety of things. And he is just as committed or more to uh, the future of gardening in Canada, to uh, the idea of gardening and connecting with nature through the gardening experience. So I get a lot of inspiration from, from, from Frankie's work. Uh, and we are very much good friends. I've introduced them to my son. They've got a lot in common, and uh, it's a great relationship. And I, and I might add, Andrew, you could name a number of people. Lorraine Johnston as as another example. Lorraine is a very good friend of mine. We she is Toronto's wildflower person. I don't know what her handle is exactly, but you know, if you're looking for an authority in urban wildflowers and a native plants. Uh, she's your go-to person. She just wrote a book, actually called "The Garden of the Rusty Backed Bumblebee." It'll probably be a bestseller. You know why? Because, as bizarre as that sounds, my golf buddy said, "Oh, that sounds like the next big series on Netflix." Ha ha! <laughs> you got to have a catchy name to catch. The, <laughs> well, that's the intention of everyone. <laughs> I I say you guys have no idea. How many people are interested in this stuff? The Garden of the Rusty Back, Rusty Back Bumblebee is a fabulous book, and that's because Lorraine writes so well. Lorraine always researches her stuff extremely thoroughly, and
0: and um, she's she's just a fabulous, genuine person, a great Canadian. Well, there's a there's a a good. Shout out to Lorraine and and to Frankie.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, Mark, in 2016, as we talked, you were awarded the Order of Canada for your connections with everyday Canadians through your gardening and environmental messages. As I mentioned, this is Canada's highest civilian honour. So, first of all, congratulations. Where do you keep your chain? (laughs) In a drawer. <laughs> it's
1: in a drawer. Um, I'm nervous of wearing it. I think I've only worn it once in the five or five six years, I guess, that I've had it. Um, uh, through the Highway of Heroes Street campaign, which I'm the chair of, we could talk about that later. I I have met a lot of military people. In fact, last week I was at Beechwood Cemetery, which is Canada's Arlington. So it's Canada's military cemetery in Ottawa. I was there for uh to celebrate the 150th um anniversary of the uh, Canada's Governor General Foot Guard. Now, you might wonder, what are you doing up there and doing that for? Well, we were planting 500 trees. So it was really, a, to me, it was about the tree planting. And everybody's there in all the regalia. And uh, that included, of course, all of their military medals. Could have worn it. I could have worn it to that event. And I didn't. I've, I've got the little so-called snowflake. You know, that you see Lisa LaFlemme wear on the news every night. I've got one of those, and I wear that on my lapel of the jacket I very seldom
0: put on. Well, you're clearly a humble guy, but you'll you'll break it out when you get a chance for sure. Okay. (laughs) Mark, I got, be remiss if I didn't bounce off you a number of weird gardening tips, fact or fiction. Place a coffee filter in the bottom of each of your plant pots for ease of resettling seedlings factor Fitchin.
1: Well, it's it's not a bad idea. Coffee grounds have um, a lot of benefits in the garden, but I'd be more inclined to put them in the bottom of a pot that you are uh, going to replant, say, your aspenister or your house plant in, right? Uh, That would make more sense than, I don't know about the seedlings thing. I don't really understand the benefits of that, but I put mine in the compost. I drink a lot of coffee. And I, I make a pot every morning, and all those grounds go directly in the compost, and after
0: a year of composting, they go directly into the garden, and they're great. Berry banana peels close to rose, rose bushes for beautiful blooms. factor fiction?
1: <laughs> I, think, I think there's some fact in that, and um, I've also heard that if you add to your banana peel composting at the base of your rose plant some Epsom salts, uh, which is really a magnesium based product uh, you will get deeper green leaves and more vibrant flowers but you got to be careful with that stuff that you don't overdo it right because well they are salts after all and you don't want to yeah. be applying a lot of salt to your garden for sure but yeah that's a that's not a bad idea I don't do it and I
0: wouldn't do it I still throw my banana peels in the compost let it do the work Well I got another material here that people apparently throw in. Water the ground around your gardenias occasionally with cola or soda pop.
1: No. Yeah. That's a dumb idea. Why
0: would you do that?
1: Yeah. you straightening us out. I, well, I don't know where you're picking this stuff up, but, you know, the internet's fascinating for all its untruths.
0: The internet is definitely fascinating.
1: Um, by the way, gardenias are acid-loving plants. You do want to treat them with a dusting of sulfur about once a month this time of year. Uh, you're not fertilizing the plant. You're changing the pH of the soil. You're, um, you're making it more acidic, and that's
0: really important for cardinias. Otherwise, the leaves turn yellow. I got a crazy one for you here. To check if soil temperatures were warm enough to, to sow seeds, use the bare bum test. Simply pull down your pants, and if the soil is warm enough to sit on, it's warm enough to plant.
1: I have a 4-year-old grandson that would love that invitation. He I can't I, get him to, I can't get him to stop peeing in the garden. You know, somebody told him that was a good idea. And you can do that when you're 4 years old, but for the for the most part I think the adult population needs to be a little careful with that. Um uh so notwithstanding um how the public might view that, or your local legal authorities, it's probably a good idea, but why wouldn't you just stick your finger in there? Just well, we stick have, your finger like four inches or 10 centimeters in the soil, and if it feels
0: cool, it's cool. Like, your, your finger's pretty good at judging judge of that. It's a much simpler way to do it. I think. It is well known in Ontario that our provincial flower is the white trillium, but apparently there are red trilliums, nicknamed stinking benjamins as they smell awful is are you familiar with the uh, red trillium and, and why is the smell so foul well i'm not sure why the smell is so foul but it's a true story and they are
1: different species um there's a temptation for a horticulturalist to look at a red sometimes purple flower uh, trillium and go oh well that's just a sport of the white trillium uh, but I only learned recently, uh, here I am learning something new again, I only learned it like a month ago, that actually the red trillium is a different species, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it favors the same sort of cultural treatment as the white trillium does, but I don't know why it smells. It's, there's always a reason for that, and there, it could be, here's just me speculating, if it smells foul, its primary pollinator is probably the
0: housefly. And when you yeah. think about it, the, what are You're, house flies like? You are incredible. The reason for the smell is the foul odor attracts insects aiding in pollination. You've proven so, your bona fides once again. I I, no, I, got, I mean there was a good test for me because that was just a
1: wild-ass guess, but can I can, I want to just tell you something because um, you know people people sometimes listen to me and they just want to know how can, how can I succeed? How can I take the vision I have of a beautiful garden and create that? And the answer I have for you is very simple. Think like a plant. Think like a plant. So when you think about somebody who fishes, who goes out in the lake and comes back with their their maximum with as many fish as they can legally haul in every time. What do they have that the rest of us don't have? They've learned to think like a fish. They know how deep it is. They know the temperatures they like, they know what they're eating. They know when they're eating. And when you, when you, it's like learning a new language and uh, that little test there, Andrew was really a lot of fun and I'm glad I got it right. I don't always, but there are rules of nature that apply to the world of plants that are quite consistent. Nature is much more consistent than we think she is. We think she's random. A thunderstorm rolls through and the sun shines and there's a rainbow. How did all that happen? And why doesn't she just make up her mind? There's a reason for everything.
0: I believe that. Well, I think that something's. I want to come back to because your very uh, your views on. It's everybody's sport, so to speak. Gardening and horticulture should be open to everybody. I wanted to just go back a little and talk. You're obviously very proud of all four of your kids. But as you noted, Ben is involved with you. And I wanted to get your take on something that I found very interesting. Ben has graduated. He's a, a double graduate of university. But when we go all the way back to where you started, your father said to you, you said, Dad, I want to go study horticulture at university. And he said to you, why? You can join me. I'll teach you everything I know about horticulture and marketing. And that's what you did. In hindsight now, what do you say? And seeing how your only your own child uh, went to university. So you've had these two different experiences.
1: Well, you know, what a, what a great question. And again, I, I have no idea where you're getting this stuff, but it's so accurate. Um, uh, I must've written that somewhere sometime and you, you dug it up, but it's true. Uh, that is what dad said to me. I actually spent a year at Seneca college. It's about the only thing I have in common with Doug Ford is we both went to community college for a year. <laughs> and, um, uh, I don't know what his father said to him, but there was a family business there somewhere. And my, you're right what my dad said. And I said, well, okay, dad, uh, you say so. To be honest with you, I enjoyed working more than I enjoyed school anyway. So I did do it. But of uh, all four kids that we have, all of them went to university. Two of them went to university twice. And Ben, ben is one of them. You're right. And um, I see every day how the post-secondary School experience has benefited Ben, and by extension, it benefits me. And it benefits me because he's teaching me something every day. When we're on the phone, and you know, whether it's a new computer skill or uh, how to create a document or how to think about business, because he got a bachelor of commerce degree from Dalhousie. Uh, I know how I think about business. I know how I made money. But he has he has his own approach, a different approach, a very good, solid approach. A lot of that is credit to our post-secondary school system. We're blessed here in Canada to have such a wonderful system of colleges and universities. I absolutely believe that. And if you feel like me, like Maybe going to school was uh, maybe you didn 't go to school for as long as you kind of wished you had I mean that would be reading my mind right now it 's not exactly a regret i 'll tell you what i don 't regret is reading I read i and I used to read so much. Uh, about business, about setting up a board of advisors, about how to find and keep good people, um, about how to make money. I read, 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 read. And in a way, you can send yourself to university by carefully choosing what you choose to expose your mind to, and and diving deep into those things to, to learn as much as you can. And so my advice to kids is, whatever your education looks like make sure that it it, it make sure that you get an education about things you love if you're a numbers person you know do that but i'm i'm a marketing guy so i chased the marketing message i chased the how to succeed in business message and that has helped me so much
0: uh, authors of books have helped me so much your story clearly is one of passion And if you have a passion, you should follow it, is I think what you're advising.
1: Well, yeah, I think about um, what they don't teach you in the Harvard Business School by Mark McCormack. Now that's right off the top of my head. I might have a little bit of that wrong. It's probably a 40-year-old book. I think Mark is long gone. But the passion that came through in that book taught me a lot about what they don't teach you in Harvard Business School. I remember reading Lee Iacocca's book, uh, back in his Chrysler days, and what an inspiration that man's life was. Um, and so there's inspiration all around us, I believe, Andrew, and we can choose to ignore it or we can
0: learn from it. Absolutely. Now, one thing I want to talk to you about being a fourth generation Torontonian, I'm hoping you're going to have some good hidden gems for us. Where do you like to eat in Toronto? <laughs> Where do I like to eat in Toronto? Oh, boy. Where do you go for bacon and eggs, Mark?
1: Where do, Well, I, I go to Cora's. Uh, I seek out Cora's. You know, there's, there's one in the west end of downtown Toronto over by Spadina um, that opens nice and early. And I, if I'm downtown early, I would, uh, and in that general vicinity, I would go to it. But I think Cora's, you know, a great Canadian success story, by the way, uh, started in Quebec. It You can get a really good breakfast there. And if you're looking for cheap, well, if you're looking for cheap, there's lots of cheap breakfasts out there. Um, There's one, oh, the name, when I worked for Global Television, I used to go there, and it's on Queen Street, and it's been there forever, I think 1951, and I don't think they've changed the furnishings.
0: It's right near the King Eddie. Do you know where I mean? And well, I, I do know where you mean, and unfortunately, every time I go down there myself, my favorite places have all disappeared as well. But I was thinking more around the family homestead. When you like to go out for dinner or lunch or or do an activity around your home, where do you go?
1: Um. Hmm. Well, here in Markham, I go to. Um, uh, uh, I want to call it Folcos. I think it's called Folcos, family-run Italian um, uh, restaurant right on the main street. And uh, Focos just does a fabulous job. You, I'll, I'll warn you, you gotta, you got to book it a few days in advance to, to get it. Um, and if I go to a Leafs game, and I, I do actually go to the odd Leafs game, um, I like going to the keg. I like going to the smallest steak they, they produce is my favorite because I don't like a lot of red meat. But once in a while, man, a baked potato loaded with uh, a really small filet. Wow, what a treat that is. And they
0: do the, they do a great job. You and I, we, you can't go wrong. Keg and a leaf game. That's the, yeah. that's a night. Yeah, yeah, and I a beer. Like it. Yep. <laughs> now, in your career, Mark, I want you to drop some names here. Who was kind of the most famous person, or have you had any interesting uh, celebrity interactions in your long business career?
1: <laughs> well, um, you know, my most recent celebrity interaction was with the uh, Right Honourable David Johnston and his wife Sharon, and um, you know it's such a wonderful uh, relationship we have developed over recent years. Um, because when I received the Order of Canada, he pinned he he pinned the tail on the donkey that day, and. Uh, uh, and I was one of about, I, I don't know, I'm going to say 60, 70 people that received the honor that at that time at Rideau Hall. Um, it was meeting his wife that was extraordinary because she's extremely enthusiastic, and she grabbed my arm when she's Mark Cullen, Mark Cullen, she says, I need you to come to my garden. I've got problems with my pond, and I need some advice with my garden. And I said, Mrs. Johnston, I would be delighted. You name the time I'll be there. You know, I just thought what an honor just to meet them. So, uh, I did, I went to their, their home and I uh, consulted and, uh, David came in that afternoon in a black limousine with RCMP car on either side of him. And she said, you must be special because he's come home early to meet you. And you, I don't want to tell you how nervous I was. I was extremely nervous. He's still a governor general at this time. Right. And, uh, Long story short, we got to know each other Uh, in in a very special way. And as the chairman of the Highway of Heroes tree campaign, we hatched this wonderful idea that it would be great to have Sharon and David as our honorary patrons. And I remember the day I met them at a mutual friend's Christmas party. I was invited to come just to speak to the two of them privately. We went off into an anteroom, and I asked them, I kind of gave them the elevator speech about planting 117,000 trees on the Highway of Heroes right of way for every Canadian, a tree for every Canadian who has died at war and, um, uh, 1.8 million more for those that volunteered during times of war. And David looked at me and he said, Mark, you can put my name on your letterhead. Just don't ask me for any time. I don't have any time. And Sharon, Sharon, um, softened that message a little bit. And she's such a, such a sweetheart. And they both are sweethearts. They are. I hope they don't mind me saying that. But you know what happened? He surprised us so much because he's come back with so much advice, so many connections that uh, he's helped to make the Highway of Heroes a fully funded $10 million success And it's because of him. It's because of Sharon. And there are a couple of famous people that have had a huge impact on my life. Um, I I remember meeting some people that had an impact on my life. I wrote a column once about the people I would like to meet over lunch. And one of them was Mel Lastman. And this was when he was mayor of North York, before Toronto actually became the city we know it as a megacity or whatever they called it. And he took me to the Donalda Club and we had lunch and I was able to just ask him questions. And it was so much fun. And uh, I remember saying to him, you know, you're obviously a successful municipal politician. He'd been mayor for about 25 years at that point. I said, why don't you run for, you know, the province or as a federal MP? And he looked at me, he had a cigar in his mouth at the time. He pulled the cigar out of his mouth like a Churchill moment. And he said, because... I have, I can do whatever I want. And he puts a cigar back in his mouth and it was like, Oh, okay. I get it. He didn't want anything to do with party politics is really what he was saying. Yes. And, um, I learned a lot that day and you know, a mere hour and a half, it's amazing how much I learned about business about how he succeeded as a communicator and a politician and say what you will about Mel Lastman. I know there are people that love him and they don't love him so much Truth is, he had a very successful life. And uh, there was a lot to learn just by observing
0: how he conducted himself and what he did. I'm with you. I grew up in in North York, and he is the original great marketer, great businessman. Mm. And I think when you look at what he did to Young Street between, you know, Shepard and Steeles, you as you say, you might love it, you might hate it. But I, I think he had a great effect on our city.
1: It's true. Ed Murvers is another. I got to meet. Ed Mervish through the Composting Council of Canada we planted a tree together at Allen Gardens and what 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 an extraordinary man really and his son David i think equally extraordinary maybe we don't sing his praises as much as, as we have Eds but you know what it with that family
0: has had such a, an amazing
1: impact on our city and our history
0: absolutely now, in addition to the Highway of Heroes tree campaign that you spoke a little about, I know another program that's very important to you, Mark, is the Two Billion Trees program run by Trees for Life. What is this program and how are you involved? Well, for the first time, you don't quite have it right. The <laughs> Trees for Life
1: is a not-for-profit uh, registered charity, uh, which means we can, we can uh, generate tax receipts for donors uh that is dedicated to doubling the urban tree canopy across Canada where Canadians live work and play we believe we need more trees trees help us in so many ways and let me get to that in just a moment but the answer to your question is the 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 initial funding uh came from the Two Billion Tree Program, which is run by the federal government, and it's managed by the Ministry of Natural Resources. Uh, They gave us $2 million a year ago, our first year of operation. We matched it with $2 million from the private sector. They just last week, and we announced together when we were at Beechwood Cemetery in Ottawa, another 2.4 million dollars for 2022. Uh, and we're going to plant 650,000 trees in the urban environment where Canadians live, work and play. And we're matching that with private Canadian funds. And by the way, we're looking for donors. We've got 800,000 so far. We need another 1.7, excuse me, to make this work. But uh, it's a very exciting program, and a lot of credit to the Two Billion Tree Program, and quite frankly, to Trudeau and his his government who hatched the idea. Uh, they're bringing it together very nicely, and it's it's not been easy for them because two billion trees is a lot of trees, and the industry that grows trees wasn't ready for it mm. because it takes minimum three years to grow a seedling tree. It takes eight to 12 years to grow a tree tree, a caliper tree. So it, it, it's
0: a wonderful challenge for all of us. Uh, and I think we're up for the challenge. It's fabulous. Well, it's a it's a very uh, lofty goal and a big program. And as you say, it's not done overnight. So wishing you continued success with that. And I'm glad you can get the word out. Thank you. Mark, people loved to get out, especially post COVID period we're in. Uh, when you're talking about GTA gardens that you recommend people go to, I think the ones that are on your list are that you want to talk about them a little the, the Toronto music garden.
1: What a phenomenal gift to the city. It's free. You can wander in from any angle of that garden. It's at the Lake shore or near the old red Pass sugar silos or whatever they were. It wasn't red path sugar. It was, it was something else, but it doesn't matter. The silos in the West end of Queens Key is where it's located. It's two acres it's very small, but it it it's extraordinary in its design. It was inspired by Yo Yo Ma, uh, and a classic piece of music that was created by Mozart. And you might ask yourself the question: Well, how do you create a garden that's based on a piece of classical music? And and the answer is: Go and find out, and, and you'll see for yourself that this is a this is a multi sensory phenomena with the wind blowing through the ornamental grasses with the color with the pathways with the quietness with the association with the water and there's actually a sort of a bandstand amphitheater arrangement there where they do classical concerts five times throughout the summer and I would urge listeners go online find out when they are go they're free at entrance is free this was pr- primarily funded with with private sector money, but the city came to the table as well. And it's one of those wonderful success stories about the the city and private citizens working together to create something extraordinary. And I see it as a tourist attraction. Somebody from Boston wanting to come to Toronto to enjoy our waterfront has to go to the music garden, has to be impressed by it. Boston has a wonderful waterfront,
0: but they don't have our music garden. That is true. That is true. Another garden that you love is Toronto Botanical Gardens. Mm. Another
1: freebie. So it's, in other words, you can go there. It's three and a half acres. It's uh, in uh, the geographic center of the city, actually, at Leslie and Lawrence, the old Edwards um, Gardens. It's it, They carved a piece of a property out of that, which is owned by the city of Toronto. And they just do an extraordinary job when you consider The limited resources they have, and is limited by the fact that uh, their only source of income is private donors. They get a little bit of support from the city of Toronto, um, but I wouldn't put too fine a point on that. I think the city could be a little more generous than they are considering what the Toronto Botanical Gardens contributes to the culture and the life of our city. Uh, It's it's phenomenal what
0: they do. Um, So, yeah, TBG. The third one, Mark, I want to talk about, I'm going to need your help because I don't know how to say this, but another one you like is the Bruckner rhododendron gardens. (laughs) Yeah. um, In the
1: West end, uh, there's a lot of history there. Um, And the the rhododendrons, I'm I'm trying to think if they'd be in bloom in June, some would, definitely some would. And We don't think of southern Ontario as being a great home for rhododendron gardens, partly because of our climate. So it gets a little cold here for a lot of rhododendrons. But this rhododendron garden is so well protected, they actually do extremely well. And it's close enough to the lake that the winter temperatures are moderated. And the history of the garden goes back. Three generations, and I'm trying to think of the name of the family that started it. But they would have acidified the soil because we live in a naturally alkaline soil in Ontario because it's a lime-based soil. Thank you, glaciers. Versus Nova Scotia and BC, which are acidic-based soils where they grow great rhododendrons very naturally. So it's it's a pretty neat garden because um, it was contrived uh to a large degree a lot of work went into making this as beautiful as it is and it's well worth the trip and the
0: last on the list that i wanted to ask you about mark is the centennial park conservatory
1: yes you know it's huge uh the, the property is is huge you can go there with a frisbee or baseball um or, or, or whatever go for a picnic but I've spent a lot of time in the Centennial Park uh, greenhouses. We've shot We shot some home hardware commercials there actually, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, trying to trick people into thinking we were in a garden when we were actually shooting in February. Uh, when you shoot a commercial, there is so much downtime that you get really familiar with your surroundings because there's not much to do other than, you know, check your emails on your phone. So I've wandered through that, that greenhouse so many times, and it's, it's amazing because the city of Toronto actually uh, changes up for uh, according to the season. So you get bulbs in the spring, like tulips and narcissus, and you get poinsettias around Christmas and a lot of other Christmas plants uh, and all kinds of stuff in between. It's an extremely well-managed property. Credit to the city.
0: Fabulous. Well, those are are four great gardens we can all get out to in the GTA. Mark, you've been very giving of your time. As we get close to the end, I did want to ask you what your plans are for the remainder of 2022 and beyond. What are you working on and what's next?
1: Well, so we moved from the country to our property in Markham, the very beginning of our conversation, Andrew, and um, I have an acre here. Half an acre is a pollinator garden vegetable garden, an orchard, and an insect hotel. My goal is to attract as much beneficial wildlife to the property as I possibly can. And of course, the funny thing about ladybugs and hummingbirds and butterflies and songbirds and, and the like being the things that I want to get into the garden in the the highest possible quantity is that they don't know what a fence is. They don't know what property lines are. So to the benefit of the people of Markham, I am doing this for fun. For me, it's a sandbox. I call it my sandbox, where I can go out and I can play moving plants around, doing what I have to, to uh, create some beauty from which i will derive a lot of satisfaction and if people walking by my garden get a kick out of it then i think that's a wonderful benefit so my goal is because this is my first full year here i started halfway through the season last year is to get the rest of the pollinator garden going and rocking so that three years from now really is an extraordinary sight to see um and I continue to write for the Toronto Star with son Ben, and you know we're always exploring new topics there. I have a wonderful editor, uh, Jane, who just is so good to us and such a great editor in a demanding kind of way. <laughs> well, you I always
0: got to be pushed.
1: <laughs> oh no, kidding! And she's and I mean that in the best possible. Uh, way. She's a Jane's fantastic. And uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Ben, as a one-year-old, I have five grandchildren and we're, I plan to spend a lot more time with my grandchildren in the garden. My grandson, I'd mentioned the four-year-old who would put his bum in the soil. Uh, Conrad and I sowed uh, seeds in October for a, a wildflower hummingbird garden. And I wish you could see it today. It is a mass of blooms, mostly poppies in full bloom, and I'm so pleased with it. I, the funny kid, four-year-old boy, he's playing he's playing ball with his mother in his backyard. They played for about ten minutes, and he put down the bat and he said, "Mom, can we go plant something now?" Well, can get you after imagine? your own
0: heart. Can you imagine? Oh, Grandpa, he he just melted once again. <laughs> well, the Cullen name continues in gardening, and you can, we can see that ne- we got the next generation well into it. Mark, again, I want to thank you for your time. And where can we best follow you in all your various uh, mediums and platforms? Well, what a great question, and thank you for asking. MarkCullen.com. Uh, gives you
1: all the options. You ask me, what social media are we on? There are hot links there to all our social media, our monthly newsletter, which is free, including the the, the one on the 15th of each month, which is food gardening. Uh, And it takes you directly to our star articles. It takes you to a library where 10,000 gardening questions are answered using our internal search engine. MarkCullen.com would be uh, the simplest and best answer I could give you excellent
0: thank you mark and to the listeners thank you for listening to this episode of the toronto legends podcast on behalf of mark cullen i am andrew applebaum saying mahalo